Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast brought to you by Twisting Tea and My Bookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And no cousin Shane, but you already know why. It's because it's an Athlon Stephen Tuesday. Going to be joined by Stephen Lassen, deep dive on the upcoming slate and the games last weekend and kind of looking ahead. Got to hit on just about every SEC team pretty in-depth here with uh, my favorite conversation we have every week with Stephen Lassen. So we'll get to that in just a little bit. But um, first, we had some big news in the SEC, had to lead off with this. And, you know, I don't know that this necessarily changes the SEC East race or anything, but it is huge news. Brock Bauer, star tight end, best tight end in the country, and in my opinion, the best player in the country, it was, um, you know, good news is it's not season-ending not season ending injury or anything like that, but he was banged up against Vanderbilt, and Georgia has officially announced Brock Bowers having that surgery on his ankle, procedure known as a tightrope uh, surgery on the ankle, same one that Tua had a couple years ago there for Alabama, and he suited back up, uh, I think it was in the SEC championship game, if memory serves. But So he's going to be out. They're saying four to six weeks is expected timeline. And let's throw up Georgia's schedule here. They're off this weekend. So in that regard, couldn't have asked for a better time if you're Georgia. In two weeks, you got Florida in Jacksonville, of course. Missouri comes to Athens. Ole Miss comes to Athens at Tennessee. So that's kind of your four to six-week timeline. And there's no guarantees. You just never know how someone's going to respond. But Brock Bowers, a freak athlete. I mean, I'm sure as soon they're not going to rush him out, but as soon as he can possibly get out there, he's going to get out there. Could be Ole Miss week, could be Tennessee on the road, could be Georgia Tech, could be the SEC championship for all we know. But just rough part of Georgia's schedule, the pretty much the only challenging part of their schedule, they're going to be without Brock Bowers. So that is certainly something to pay attention to. And we talk a little bit more about this Brock Bowers injury news with Steven here coming up in a minute. But, oh, my God, I can't believe I missed this. But Mizzou football, we got to be the biggest Mizzou fans that run an SEC show here. But this was the troll of the season that I had seen so far. Anybody that missed it, they do great work over at uh, Kentucky Sports Radio. But Mizzou got them good. They put out at, at KSR, they put out this graphic, you know, predicting the scores. And of course, you know, they're all Kentucky homers. No, no surprise. They all picked Kentucky to win. And what Mizzou did after their win was they retweeted it with not only just retweeting it, but they made a Kroger shopping list here. I'll throw it up on the screen. And as you can see, it's, <laughs> it says the cashier was Eli Drinkwitz. It's got some of the stats for the Missouri Tigers. And passing yards, rushing yards, total yards, and then the final there at the bottom, Mizzou wins 38-21. I just thought this was, <laughs> I mean, what an epic troll job there by the Missouri Tigers. Well done, well played there. Uh, how, how about this? We'll get to more coach comments uh, later in the week, but Nick Saban, this is a quick one. He was He was asked about his offensive line giving up 31 sacks, dead last in the SEC, and 130th in the entire country facing Tennessee, which who has the number five 
most sacks in the country heading into this game. Does that concern you? Uh, yes, Coach. I understand your stance on sacks, but I wonder if, and I hope I'm not going over the same ground, but 31 sacks so far this year, if that is concerning, and is that fixable at this time of the year? Well, um, to the first part of your question, I would say, hell yeah. Um, to the- well, hell yeah. Why wouldn't that concern him? <laughs> I just... I love when these coaches are, are honest. So uh, that was great. Uh, one last thing before we get to our interview here with Steven. So th- they announced the kickoff times for October 28th. So this is a little over a week ahead. We're, we're currently in week eight, but these are the week nine kickoffs. They do this every week. They do it in anticipation a week ahead. South Carolina at Texas A&M, noon Eastern, 11 o'clock Central on ESPN. Big break here, in my opinion, for South Carolina. You're not... You don't have to go to Kyle Field at night. Makes uh, this game a little bit, uh, you know, more open to the possibility of winning this one. Georgia, Florida, this had already been announced, and it's basically just written in stone. They're going to meet 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central, CBS, game of the week. Georgia, Florida, both of them coming off a bye. It's going to be one hell of a matchup. Same time, Mississippi State at Auburn, 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central on the SEC Network. Night games, Tennessee at Kentucky at Deck Kroger, 7 Eastern, 6 Central on ESPN. Kentucky's season on the line here against a, a team I think they hate more than any other, while Tennessee will be coming off the Alabama game. This could be one hell of a clash. Vanderbilt at Ole Miss, 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central on the SEC Network. So there's your kickoffs for the October 28th schedule Again, one quick time, South Carolina at A&M at noon, Georgia, Florida, 3.30, Mississippi State at Auburn, 3.30, Tennessee at Kentucky, 7, and Vanderbilt at Ole Miss, 7.30. There's your October 28th kickoff times, courtesy of the SEC. But all right, let's kick it over to our interview with Stephen Lassen of Athlon Sports. All right, it's another Tuesday, so you know what that means. It means it's a Stephen Lassen Tuesday on the show. Stephen is, of course, uh, the senior editor over at Athlon Sports, joins us every week. How you doing, Stephen? Hey, Mike. I'm doing good. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, as always. I see a smile on your face. That means <laughs> uh, I know you didn't have to pay any bets up on Monday, so I'm going to guess that uh, your week has started off well uh, as well. Yeah, no doubt. And so obviously I wanted to get to, uh, you know, some of the results we had last weekend. It was a fun weekend in the SEC. We've got some intriguing games coming up this weekend. But um, one thing that kind of has come to my attention, Stephen, and and this is not just SEC uh, question, but uh, obviously you do the uh, the Cover 2 podcast for Athlon where you cover the – entire country and uh, that's one of my favorite podcasts I recommend everybody check it out with uh, Braden Gall you and Braden on that show I love it but there's been a real lack of upsets Stephen I keep waiting for these upsets to happen and you know I'm so focused on the SEC that uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm waiting for that emergency podcast but I've heard others talk about it so I wanted to pick your brain real quick it seems like we're lacking a lot of those upsets across the country. Would you agree with that? And and if so, 
I mean, I think it potentially sets up, and, and maybe I'm just looking more SEC-centric on this part of it, but I think it sets up for potentially one heck of a, a second half of the season because we're one of two things is going to happen, Stephen. We're going to have some titanic clashes like uh, – you know, Tennessee, Georgia, I'm thinking of, Alabama, LSU, uh, Ole Miss, Georgia, I mean, Missouri, Georgia, you know, Tennessee, Alabama, perhaps. But we're going to have some great matchups and potentially some some really exciting college football uh, playoff games, championship games. Because of the lack of upsets, the, the contenders keep winning. Uh, what's your thoughts on all that rambling of a question I just threw your way? I think it's a great point. First of all, I think get ready for a awesome November of football. I know everyone's favorite point of the season, the committee's going to meet in Dallas and they're going to put their hats on the coat rack to to put their egos aside and rank teams, the top 25. So that's coming up as well. Um, I think, yeah, I, th- I think first of all, like you start thinking about some of these conference races, the Big Ten has three top 10 teams. The Pac-12 just had a uh, a showdown on Saturday with Washington and Oregon, USC is going to play a couple high profile games. I think the transfer portal has added some depth to some of these teams. So you're seeing a lot of like there's the clustering of teams in the top 20, but you're also setting up for um, while the favorites have won, we're also set up for a lot of shakeups in the top 25 because of these high profile matchups. At some point, I would assume there's going to be some upsets too. It's just, we're due for them as we are every season. So uh, we're, we're really setting up for what should be an exciting um, kind of second half of the college football season. So I, I'm looking forward to it. It should be, should be really exciting because also we're, you know, we, we start thinking about number one and I think Georgia is number one at this point, but Michigan has also looked good. And I think the gap between one and 10 or so is pretty small. So maybe this is the year we get two more exciting semifinals and a close national championship game. Either way, I think if you're a college football fan, and I guess I should assume you are because you're listening to to that SEC podcast, uh, I think we're in for a really fun second half of the year. Yeah, and I wanted to open with that, Stephen, because we all know them dogs. They're already looking past the SEC East race. They're probably already looking past the SEC championship game is they're looking forward to the playoff and trying to get three out of three national championships. But the big news, uh, really in all of college football, but especially the SEC, Stephen, on Monday, Brock Bowers uh, injured. He's going to have that uh, tightrope surgery on his ankle, one that uh, you know Tua has had done. Many SEC, many college football athletes have had over the years. So they're saying timetable to return potentially four to six weeks. And thankfully for for Georgia, they get to rest up this weekend. It's a bye week. Concern here is all about Brock Bowers getting him back because he's such a dynamic player. I I would argue he's the best college football player in the country, not just SEC, the country. So thoughts with him first and and getting back. But this is the the one point in the schedule, Stephen, that you could at least afford to lose a Brock Bowers if you're Georgia. And I'll throw up the schedule here for anybody that doesn't know it. But Florida's your next game. Again, that's in two weeks because of the bye. Missouri comes to town, which gave you a hell of a fight, and Missouri's better this year. Ole Miss comes to town. Who knows? They they could be a one loss, could be a top 10 showdown. And then, of course, at Tennessee. So, again, with that four- to six-week timeline, 
Brock Bowers is going to miss several, if not all, of these games. He he could be back for Ole Miss. He could be back for Tennessee. But uh, that's that's a little far down the road. I, who knows when he'll be get back. But just your thoughts on what this does to Georgia, and particularly th- this next couple of weeks where Brock Bowers is either not going to be on the field at all or uh, you know knocking off some rust during this critical stretch. Yeah, I think first of all, man, I, you just you hate injuries like this because to your point, I feel like if you take away the quarterback position in college football, Brock Bowers is the most exciting, valuable, you know, best player, however you want to word it. It's it's frustrating or, or I think, you know, it just sucks as a fan to not be able to to be able to see him these next couple of weeks or however long he's out. You know, you think about just his value to the offense, um, the production he's had, whether it's catching the ball, uh, the second half against Auburn, uh, taking handoffs this year. There's no way to slice it. It's a big loss for Georgia. I do think they can overcome that loss because of the collective of Georgia, uh, the depth that this roster has. Dominic Lovett led the team in catches on Saturday against Vanderbilt. Ra-Ra Thomas had that awesome touchdown catch against Kentucky. You know, you brought those guys in this offseason to beef up the receiving core. You'll probably have to use more of those guys going forward. Also, I think uh, the run game for Georgia. You know, Edwards and Milton have both had, had their moments the last couple of weeks. You throw in if Marius Mims, I would assume, is getting closer to to returning. You know, all of a sudden, Georgia's got a lot of weapons in an offensive line that could be finding itself. You also think about um, Carson Beck. I think he's shown that he's capable of handling the extra pressure offensively. So, I think two things are true here. Georgia is no question about it; they're going to miss Brock Bowers but I also think that they can navigate it and still get to the SEC championship game. And then by then, assuming they're still 12-0, they should still be in good shape to make the college football playoff and potentially, I would assume, get him back uh, for that point of the season. And and if you get get him back even quicker uh, for Tennessee or Ole Miss, that's a bonus at this point. So it's a big loss, but I do think the collective can help Georgia navigate this over the next couple weeks. Well, staying in the East, Stephen, huge showdown last weekend. Missouri goes on the road, beats Kentucky by, by 17 points. Rest in peace to uh, Shane's diet there with the 17 beers coming. But I thought uh, those glasses were supposed <laughs> Those glasses, I thought. <laughs> they ain't helping. They ain't helping. Uh, but uh, let's stick with Missouri uh, for now, Stephen. Uh, Brady Cook, I mean, he finished – absolutely on fire but this was far from his best game luther burden got banged up i don't think he only had two catches for like 30 something yards and cody schrader did not have his best performance either if we had said that if we had known that going in i think we would have said well god i guess kentucky's just going to steamroll them but it was the exact opposite uh what does this win mean for missouri and this program and uh, credit Cousin Shane, before he had the glasses on, Stephen, he had the foresight to predict Missouri as his bold take to win 10 games. And all of a sudden, after this win, that's looking pretty realistic. What What's your thoughts on that? I think, first of all, I, I should be the one who probably puts my glasses on because I pick Kentucky as well. So I'll, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I need to, to have better sight next time making my, uh, my picks. But no, I think... What you mentioned there is kind of what stood out to me. You know, K- Kentucky came out 14 and 0, and it looked like that it was going to be another one of those games Saturday night in Lexington 
where Kentucky just going to take control. They were going to get Ray Davis, and it was going to be a methodical, solid victory for Kentucky. And, Stephen, sorry to interrupt you, but Devin Leary missed a a deep shot, would have made it 21-0. to That probably would have put Missouri away. Absolutely. That fake punt by Missouri and that throw that you mentioned completely changed the game. I mean, it was all Missouri after that. And I think you could look at that and say, Missouri got down in a tough environment and found a way to win when they didn't play their best game. Brady Cook didn't have a great game. You mentioned Luther Burden. I think Missouri did the small things well. You know, their average field position was the 39-yard line. They also had three scoring drives of 34 yards or less, held Kentucky under 300 yards. So this game is really kind of the collective. They did the small things right. And they didn't get their best game by the quarterback, and they still found a way to get a pretty convincing win in a very difficult place to play. So, uh, you know, a credit to, to Eli Drinkowitz and this Missouri team uh, for going on the road and pulling off that victory. You know, looking ahead, I mean, I think I, if you ask me to pick what their final record is going to be, I'm going to agree with Cousin Shane here. I'm going to pick 10 and 2. I think they lose to, to Georgia, but I think they win the rest of them. So uh, that's my. That's my uh, after week seven prediction uh, <laughs> due to change for other results. Yeah. That, Shane's already a hero up there. looks like Steven just became one as well. Uh, now on the flip side, Steven, Kentucky, they sit two and two in SEC play, which means if they're going to have a winning record in league play, they have to obviously win more than they lose. They got a tough slate, Tennessee, Bama, um, South Carolina, uh, what what's the confidence that you have that Kentucky, which currently sits two and two in SEC play, can finish the season with a winning record in SEC play? I'm going to go low confidence that they finish above 500. I think for Kentucky to get over that mark, though, it's pretty simple. They've got to get Devin Leary on track. I mean, every this you know this offense. If, you know, for Liam Cohen, and you guys talked about this on the, the prediction show last week, you know, the plan against Georgia was there. They, 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 the throws, if you make them, the penalties, they can get a few drives and you can change sort of the outlook of the game. Wouldn't have changed the fact that Georgia won, but Kentucky just got down uh, so far early. So this really gets back to what can they get out of Devin Leary going forward? The open date gives them a chance to sort of hit the reset button offensively. I look at their schedule and and I see those two tough games at home, kind of two swing games, I think, on the road at Mississippi State and South Carolina. I think four and four in the SEC at this point seems about right. I think if they get one of those upsets, that puts them at five and three. So I think for now, I'm going to go low confidence on the uh, on the over for four and four finishing over 500 in SEC play. Yeah, I think that's fair. Now, how about uh, staying in the East again, Stephen? A wild game back and forth. Billy sleeping Napier gets uh, another signature win, I think we could call it that, 41-39 at Williams-Brice Stadium, one of the toughest environments in all of college football. Truly a, a back-and-forth game. Shane Beamer still blaming his defenders for that for this loss, I have to imagine. But currently, and people get people are confused as hell, Stephen. I, I threw this out on Twitter, and they are just beside themselves because I said, well, Florida's number two in the East heading into the bye week, and they're like, 
by God, they're better than Missouri. They're better. They're better than Tennessee. You know, it's like on and on and on. I'm literally talking about the standings, Steve. I mean, if you pull up SEC East standings right now, Florida, uh, maybe people are getting confused because of the overall record. But the only thing that matters is the conference record. Right now, Florida is number two in the SEC East, behind only Georgia. So, a hell of a job, Billy Napier and the Gators. I never in a million years. I, th- I think I voted them sixth in the preseason. So, um, I would imagine they ex- they have exceeded even your expectations, Stephen, so far. But we can sit here and congratulate them all we want. They still got games to play, Stephen. Where does Florida finish in the SEC East standings uh, by the end of the regular season, do you think? Probably not going to make a lot of friends in Gainesville. <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to get Danny Enos to, to respond to a few emails for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to go fifth right now. But let me throw a little catch to that. I think we're going to get a lot of four and four here in the SEC East. I think when I look at Florida's schedule, I see the tougher, like this, the second half of the schedule. Yeah, they've played Tennessee. They've played Utah, of course, in non-conference play. Georgia, top team in the country. LSU's top 15 or so, depending on where you look. And Missouri uh, will be a top 15 team, I assume, if they keep winning. So three teams ranked in the top 15 and arguably the number one team in the nation. That's probably, I think, the toughest stretch of the season for this team. So optimistically i think the only game that they will be favored in in sec play is the arkansas game do you think i'm crazy on that one no not at all but i was going to ask you this Stephen, because I, I i didn't realize how many freshmen they were playing they're the, they're the youngest team right now in the sec florida is or just based on how many true freshmen they're playing significant snaps for this team but to me i mean that's a that's a blessing and a curse obviously i mean they're talented freshman of course but I think that's why we're seeing this inconsistency one one week up one week down so could they steal one from Missouri certainly could that could they steal one from LSU I I think so the way LSU's defense has shown more often than not uh, I don't think they can steal one against Georgia I think that's that's going too far but by that same token Stephen, we can't sit here and say, well, they could win this one. They could win if everything breaks right, because things have broke wrong for this team, too. So they could lose them all, too. So, yeah, no, I I think that's completely fair. I I think they have already proven, though, that that they're capable of winning games that, that most people do not think they'll win. But they're also capable of losing toss up games. So I don't know what the hell to make of Florida, I'll be completely honest with you. I think also we could look at their schedule and say, you know, they get LSU a week after the LSU Alabama game. So could mm-hmm. there be a little bit of a, you know, and that series too, of course, has been so strange at times. Right. I think, I think in, in the big picture though, you know, I, I was, when I was watching games on Saturday, I was sort of just scrolling the depth charts too, just sort of reminding myself of, you know, who is, you're at the point of the halfway point of the season and you're kind of start thinking ahead to next year. And yeah, the, you start looking at how Florida's roster is constructed. You know, Ricky Pearsall is a senior. There's not a lot of seniors on defense. So I think maybe the storyline here is, I think, first of all, if I'm Florida State, I'd be worried November 25th going into Gainesville, a Florida State team that could be unbeaten at that point going into uh, Gainesville with a Gators team with nothing to lose is is pretty dangerous if, if I'm Florida State. But I think in general, I think this Florida team, the preseason expectation was five wins 
and maybe six if things broke right. I think you probably had them an underdog against Tennessee and South Carolina back in August. They've picked two of those games off. Graham Mertz has been better than we all thought. I mean, heck, I had him 14th in my quarterback rankings. I mean, what an idiot. Um, <laughs> that you know, I think they have exceeded expectations. And I think if they just get to six and six, seven and five, and you get that bowl game and you bring in that recruiting class, is sort of continuing that positive momentum and that proof of concept that we talked about after they beat Tennessee. So um, really solid win on Saturday uh, for Florida. And I like the first time maybe you can say this for sure. I think the direction you can start to see where this program is going under Billy Napier. Yeah. And let me try to get you in trouble real quick here, Steven, because I love to do, but because uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm just trying to figure out if I'm being fair or not. Um, in my latest edition of my SEC power rankings, now keep in mind, and again, this is a caveat that's that's not fair to the Gators, but I'm I count Oklahoma and Texas in here. Uh, but let's let's take them out just so it's less confusing for you. But right now I have Florida number nine in the SEC, above Arkansas, Auburn, South Carolina, Mississippi State, and Vanderbilt, just below Kentucky, A and M, Tennessee, and Ole Miss. Um, and where, where would you rank? And I, and I realize I'm catching off, off guard with this one, but am I being fair to Florida ninth or, or, or would you have them higher? Would you have them lower? What's your thoughts on that? That's where I would have them. Um, I, I think in, you know, as you're, as you were saying those teams, I was trying to make an argument to how they could either be a little bit higher, but I think maybe the, the, the theme here is kind of what we talked about with depth in the sec. Um, we're going to get a lot of four and fours probably Mm. in the final standings. And you're going to get a lot of teams like Florida that they may not finish in the top 25, but they're probably going to be top 35 ish or somewhere in there. There's not a lot of separation once you get into the rankings of like 20 to 40 nationally. So I think ninth is fair, but I think also fair to say that they've been better than we anticipated. And that win over South Carolina was really huge as far as this team just making its goals for this season. Now, how about on the flip side of that ball game, Steven, South Carolina, that was, that was a brutal one. That, that may have been one that cost you bowl eligibility. And on Sundays, I like to throw out these little graphics I make where it's got the, you know, the, the, the schedule with an updated win loss. And I always ask, you know, what will the record be by the end of the season? And the most popular response for the South Carolina Gamecocks, the the best two and four team in the country, Stephen, the most popular response is four and eight for the Gamecocks. Um, Where, I I don't know, what's your confidence level that South Carolina can can reach the postseason after, did did that go out the window, do you think, after losing to Florida at home? It it felt like, the winner of Florida, South Carolina was probably going to a bowl and the loser is going to need an upset the rest of the way to get there. I I think, first of all, I think the next two games for South Carolina at Missouri at Texas A&M, they're going to be an underdog in those two games. And then they, of course they are from Missouri. I think the last four games though, at home, you know, Jacksonville State and Vanderbilt, I think the I think they'll certainly win those. Kentucky and Clemson, toss mm. up. I, I think a very desperate South Carolina team needing to beat Clemson 
on November 25th for a bowl game is very realistic. The month of November was good to Shane Beamer uh, the last two years as far as this team getting hot. So I'm not ruling it out. I think the odds have decreased since since last week. So I think at this point it's kind of 50-50 for me because – it's it's about you know home games and quarterback play that we've talked about before and if you can yeah. get the right quarterback hot at the right time you know south carolina could easily win those last four games i like the way that mario anderson ran on saturday too um if you would have told me south carolina outrushed florida you know i would have i would have just assumed <laughs> that they would have won the game on saturday uh, i really felt like they needed just one more play uh to win that game and they fell just short so i think declining bowl odds but four home games to close the season gives them a chance. Right. And no one in Columbia wants to hear this, Stephen, but I mean, they've had a dreadful offense and, and they, the buy seemed to alleviate some of that really got them going. They may get juice wells back. Let's hope they do. Maybe get Nick Harbor more involved. Of course, I feel like he's just going to be one of those guys. We say that about all season. And it's, not till his next second season that we that we see him, but I think, yeah, the, inter- I think the internet exploded in South Carolina <laughs> when he caught that pass. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they ha- they potentially have some emerging weapons here. So, uh, yeah, it, all hope is not lost, even though things are bleak at the moment. Now, how about Tennessee, Stephen, defending the home turf in, in one of the ugliest SEC games I can ever remember? Tennessee twenty, A and M thirteen. I've been leading with the the winning teams, but I got to go with the losing team here. Stephen, led by the biggest loser, Jimbo Fisher. Uh, and, and you said you wanted to flame Mr. Clown there down in College Station. The floor is yours, Stephen. What would you do with uh, the $100 million genius here, Jimbo Fisher? Year six, you know who Jimbo Fisher is. Texas A&M is four and three. They're too talented to be four and three. Um, I think if you, first of all, I think some stats to throw your way. If you take out the 2020 season, which was kind of weird, he's 17 and 19 in SEC games, eight and 12 in SEC play since 2021. If he's some offensive mastermind, why have they struggled to find uh, the end zone in the second half of their last three games? Last three games, they haven't had 200 yards in any of those second halves. They can't find the end zone. The offensive line is a disaster, largely because he hired a poor offensive line coach in Steve Adazio. So, is it going to get any better in year seven when your biggest rival comes into the league? Oklahoma comes into the league. I don't think so. Uh, I think he's coached to scared. I think he's coached to lose the last couple of weeks. Uh, although he did go for it on fourth down one time and the quarterback uh, fell. And he was probably like, yeah, see, that's why I don't go for these fourth down. Attempts. Uh, but no, I mean, in all seriousness, I think there at some point, if you look at this Texas A&M team, and we could look at their schedule and see they're going to be an underdog against Ole Miss and they're going to be an underdog against LSU. They could be 7-5 and five at the end of the year. It is better than last season, and Connor Wigman was hurt. I think that's a fair caveat in all this. I, I just I don't see it getting any better at this point. And maybe I'm crazy. Mike, feel free to uh, call me crazy or, or call me out here. No, I think that was well said, Stephen, and... Uh, I mean, not only does he have all the resources in the world, elite roster, he's got the ability, like you said, uh, you know, he hired Steve Adazio, but it wasn't just Adazio. I do like the Bobby Vitrino hire. I think he got drug into that one um, by the fact that 
he interviewed Bobby Petrino, and then Bobby Petrino took the UNLV job, and then a month later he hired Bobby Petrino. So, I mean that that was weird from from the get go. Even even though I think it's it's been successful, uh, you know he's could have had any defensive coordinator. And what does he do? He he looks in the division and says, "Who kicked my ass last year?" DJ, let's bring him in. That that was not a good hire either. So. Yeah, I, I mean, that, there is no excuse. And I don't think there's been an excuse for multiple years for Jimbo Fisher. And I'm, that's well documented on my end. But it's just the same old, same old. And these games are winnable. And there's there's an opportunity to be, at worst, a one-loss team right now. You know, I, I don't know. I think they should have beat Miami. Heck, I, I really do. But that in the fourth quarter, that was not really a tight ball game. So I, I give them one loss, but I, I think they should have beat Alabama. They should have beat Tennessee. I don't, you know, Tennessee fans don't want me, they don't take kindly to, to saying that, but that, that was a very winnable game that you put your team in a, you just, you didn't have them ready. And that's on him. And there needs to be some kind of price paid. And let this be a lesson, Steven, that uh, maybe when you throw $100 million at a guy, I don't know. Maybe maybe he loses motivation to to change or, or to do something because because whatever he's doing is not working and it's it's not been working. To your point, aside from the COVID year, it's not worked at all really. And we can give him ten more years, Stephen, and it's going to be ten more years of. I mean, they, they, the joke used to be we'd be eight and four. He, eight and four would be his best season in a non-COVID year. <laughs> What's the definition of insanity? You know, doing the same thing yeah. uh, over again. I mean, Texas A&M, just from a job perspective, it's one of the top like 10 to 12 jobs in the country. You have everything you need to win. The talent's right there. Your resources are right there. NIL, transfer, whatever you need to win. The SEC West is down. You know, LSU's already got two losses. Alabama was vulnerable. They came to your place uh, as, as the most vulnerable team uh, they've been in some time, and um, Texas A&M came up short. I did love the um, the message board genius account, Twitter account, which is one <laughs> of my favorites, suggested that there was a Texas A&M post that they should go after Kirby Smart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, genius. I, I do it yeah. today. Give, give him two hundred million. Come on. I, yeah, I I I mean, I think if you if I if somebody if I was Jimbo Fisher and somebody came to me and say, present me a a reason that we should keep you employed next year. And I would start by saying Connor Wigman is my savior. Like next year, he's going to be a top five quarterback in the league. Look at what Jameis Winston did for Florida state. We had him, we went to the national championship. We won it. He's this elite quarterback. I will go out and change offensive line coaches. I will find uh, somebody who can actually develop and put the offensive lineman in the right positions and, you know, continue to bring in another standout recruiting class and through the portal. That would be my argument. Uh, to your point, watching the game on Saturday against Tennessee, Texas A&M had the better roster. When I was trying to dissect that game last week, I kept coming back to A&M has the better roster, but the intangibles tell me to take Tennessee. They had the home field advantage. They had the better coaching staff. Josh Heupel did a better job of getting more out of his roster. A Tennessee team that had less than 110 passing yards Beat Texas A&M. They found a way to, to they found a way to get the ground game going and and win. So I I just think the disparity in coaching ability was on uh, display. I thought Heupel did a good job of maximizing his talent, and Fisher and that staff did not. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think ultimately what this is going to boil down to, Stephen, and 
let me know if this is fair or not, but you know, A&M's going to, they have unlimited resources. They, they can attract a quality candidate and it doesn't got to be Kirby smart. God forbid, let's not hire Urban Meyer down here, you know, some crazy man or something, but like a, like a legitimate candidate, like a Mike Elko, like Dan, a Dan Lanning, Dan Lanning, you know, I, and I have no idea. I have no idea if they can pick up the phone and hire those guys, but Someone of that caliber, someone that can actually coach a football game. Don't call Mario Cristobal, please. God, we just get the same. This be same damn thing. But if we do, if we just upgraded there, I'm not saying they're going to turn around and win the national championship the next year. But why can't they have a a, a Josh Heupel type impact? I mean, I, I think that is certainly realistic, don't you think, for Texas A&M? One hundred percent. I think. I know Texas A&M doesn't want to compare itself to the job that Sarkeesian has done at Texas, but look at what he's done in just three years. Texas is a playoff contender. Um, A&M is starting from a, would be starting from a better place in terms of roster talent and the pieces in place than what uh, Steve Sarkeesian inherited at Texas. So I think the right coaching staff could come in and win right away. The the X factor in all of this is, I mean, it is it would be very, very expensive to buy Jimbo out. But we are talking about the SEC and we're talking about an SEC that's gonna be 16 teams next year. And if you start falling behind and your biggest rival is potentially making the playoff this year and potentially going to be very good again next year, does that change the decision making at all? If you're sitting in one of those seats at AM. Do you say, do you go into next year knowing that if you keep this coaching staff together for another season, you're going to get the same thing? The upside may be limited, but you also know what you're going to get. Or do you go ahead and say, we're going to make a change right now. We may not be seven to five, eight and four good next year, but at least we feel better about uh, 2025 and beyond. It's a really interesting discussion. I, but I, I, my, my whole point in all this is I think we just know who Jimbo is at this point, and he's not the right coach for Texas A&M anymore. Yeah, and, and again, I know this is very difficult to project. We're talking October 16th here, but if A&M came open, um, and I certainly it'd be the top job on the market now because I'm not aware of there might be one or two, but you know, Michigan State and Northwestern are the only jobs that are open. Okay, yeah, thank you. So, yeah, give me a break with that. You know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> but pro- projecting anyone else that could get fired, I mean, still, I don't because because this is a top. Everybody says top ten job with with about fifty jobs, Stephen. So, <laughs> uh, we can debate top ten, but certainly a top. 12 to top 15 job and and heck maybe it is a top 10 job i'm I'm not saying it's not but there's not going to come up there's not going to be a better job than this one do you think if it this offseason this this coaching cycle i think it would be the best one oh wait um, i forgot about nick saban he's retiring sorry <laughs> sorry you got right. you, you got to make his hire before saban retires in a couple weeks right yeah that that's that's actually the only thing that i could think of that would prevent this job from being the best one on the market which is there's some kind of surprise retirement, um, perhaps a coach leaving for the NFL. Mm -hmm. Those would be the only two caveats because, I mean, you're you're right. When we talk about jobs, we all say, well, they're top 10 and that's like, there's like 20 when you say that. But for A&M, just think about the resources that they have, the facilities, 
the access to roster talent in the state of Texas and surrounding area, uh, the willingness to be good, the willingness to spend a lot of money. Now, sometimes I think they there's probably too many you know people fighting for there's too many egos involved, but everything is there if you're a free agent coach to win a national championship or at least be significantly more nationally relevant in the playoff era with 12 teams. Um, everything is there. So uh, we, you mentioned Mike Elko. If that job came open, I, he would be probably be my first call. Hmm. Okay. So Jim Harbaugh confirmed to A&M. Uh, now, how about on the flip Deion side? Sanders to A&M. <laughs> <laughs> how about on the flip side, Stephen? T- uh, Tennessee, you win. It was ugly, ugly as hell. People are mad as hell that I'm even saying that, but it, it was. But a win's a win, and it was a must win. Your season's over if you lose at home, I think, to, to A&M. But uh, are you? I don't know how to ask this, Stephen, but are you are you excited about the Vols? Are you worried about the Vols? Because they are a running machine, defense playing lights out, and you know a trip to Alabama upcoming. Of course, this is, this is going to be revenge game and all that. Uh, they're 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 heavy underdogs. I get all that, but are you? Do you look at Tennessee and say, "Wow"? Because there's there's ways you can look at this, Stephen. You can say, "Credit Josh Heupel. They're finding ways." He's adapting to his person. That's what a good coach does, and I and I 100% agree with that. Um, leaning on that defense, special teams, play of the game. Not not only the punt return touchdown by D. Williams, but he was the one, the gunner that went down there and caught it at the one that set up that punt return. So special teams is playing well for Tennessee, but <laughs> we all know what's not working, and it's the passing game. So uh, thoughts on all that, Stephen? Because I. I didn't think Tennessee could run on this A&M team. I'll, I'll be perfectly clear with, you know, I thought a hundred yards against this A&M defense would have been a great day. They ran for 232. So maybe they're just a running machine and they'll run on Bama and they'll run on Georgia and they'll, they'll beat all these teams. But I think in reality, Joe Milton is, they're going to force Joe Milton to beat him. I think that's what everybody's going to do. So where does that leave Tennessee in your eyes today? I'd be a little concerned if I'm Tennessee. I, I I'm I'm probably I'm I'm hearing the uh, complaints come in from Knoxville right now. So uh, I, I think first of all, like you said, three SEC road games to come: Alabama, Kentucky, Missouri. I think they're all. I think certainly they're gonna they're underdogs to Alabama. I would put Kentucky and Missouri in the toss up column. Uh, I certainly think you know Missouri with the way they played will probably be favored on November 11th and not to mention there's the game against Georgia for, for all the, the, the criticism we just gave Jimbo, I think let's do this. Let's do the opposite for Josh Heupel because uh, if Tennessee is winning with defense and they're winning with run, running the ball and defense, that's not the MO of a, of a Josh Heupel team at all. And that's the credit of adapting and finding ways to win. Uh, The special teams were great on Saturday, Honestly, coming into that matchup, you just looked at it on paper and saw A&M has been so good on the defensive line this year. And you looked at Tennessee and seeing how they played um, in the swamp, looked at the personnel, matched it up. Just thought, I thought A&M was going to be able to control the run game a lot better than that. So I, I think maximizing what you have, especially in a game like that, where it was a lower scoring game, like credit to Josh Heupel and that staff. But it's going to get harder, I think, on the road, uh, especially starting this week with Alabama, later this season with Georgia, which potentially 
could have Brock Bowers back. They have to just get more out of Joe Milton. I mean, it's, it's almost the same thing uh, with Kentucky. Like you feel good about a lot of the parts outside of the quarterback at this point. So if Tennessee is winning with run game and defense, that's a ton of credit to Heupel, but it's going to get harder from here and they've got to get more out of Joe Milton going forward. And uh, I think I may have already asked you, I've asked basically everybody this in the off season, but now that we have more information on all these teams, Stephen, what, what game today do you think will be a tougher test for Tennessee at Alabama this weekend, obviously, or Georgia? And let's just assume, which, which may not be fair, but let's assume Brock Bowers does not play. Which game do you think would be a tougher test for Tennessee at Bama or Georgia at home? Georgia. I think Georgia's just better. And mm-hmm. I think regardless of whether or not they have Brock Bowers, I think it's going to be a heavy lift for Tennessee to get 115 passing yards and beat Georgia. You're going to have to be a lot more balanced on offense. I think the Alabama game this weekend, you know, I, I know we'll we'll talk more about that later on, but I think just the the styles of the teams match up similar, and I think that's a much more winnable game given how Alabama has played this year, even though it's in Tuscaloosa. Perfect segue. Yeah, Alabama beats Arkansas 24-21. Ugly. I mean, Stephen, I don't know. Again, people think I'm crazy, which I am a little bit, but I keep saying this dynasty's in decay, big win, Make me look like a fool at AM. And then what happens? They they they're 20, 19, 20 point favorite against Arkansas. I thought Arkansas dominated the first quarter. Then and then Milroe hit, I think it was Kobe Prentice, big shot right as the quarter closes, and it was just a gut punch. Alabama got all the momentum, and then they dominated for two quarters. But then Arkansas went on a 15 and 0 run. And I said all last week, Steve, we'll find out about Alabama this week because they were getting doubted. Idiots like me saying no chance against AM. They're gonna lose. It's gonna be glorious. It's it's over. They they bucked up. They played their best game. They beat AM. But we'll find out about them this week because no one's doubting them. No they don't have that fuel. Is it does this team have a killer instinct? They should kill Arkansas, and they damn near lost to Arkansas. Now it took some heroics by KJ. Alabama did step up at the end of the game when they had to to make a stop. And, and Jalen Milrow, incredible throw. I think it was Nye Black, the tight end. You know, I mean, that was a very, very difficult throw with, with someone barreling down on them. So, I mean, they, they made plays. I'm not sitting here saying they were their terrible team or anything, but they're not elite. And, and they, they continue to show that to me. What is your thoughts on Alabama if they play – like they did on Saturday, down the stretch here, Tennessee, LSU, at Auburn, at Kentucky, will they lose at least one of these games? Yes, without a doubt in my mind. I think this is an Alabama team that is finding itself a little bit as the season goes on. And I certainly like the way Jalen Milrow has played the last couple of weeks. Um, you mentioned the clutch throws on Saturday. You know, I think like 10 completions and over 230 uh, passing yards. The big plays were there. The offense can be a little bit too much boom or bust. Like it's almost like, and you saw that on Saturday in the second half when they had only 23 uh, passing yards. Now, if you want to take the optimistic side of this, and I know sacks are figured into this, 
Um, you know, Jalen Milrow has had negative rushing yards the last two weeks. And again, sacks are figured in there, so that accounts for some of that. But, the, you know, he has been winning through the air. Um, Alabama's defense is still very good. And so going forward, if you could get a little bit more out of your running backs or Milrow uh, on the ground, you know, I think that this team has a little bit more um, potential. I, I think they have made strides. I think that's since the week two loss to Texas and the no-show against South Florida the next week. But this team's margin for error seems pretty small uh, compared to some past Alabama teams. And LSU, if they're getting better on defense, if Alabama wins that game, they have to go to Kentucky the next week. And then, of course, Auburn. Uh, which I know offensively is a bit of a mess right now, but I saw Brian Harson coached a team nearly beat Alabama two years ago. So things could always get interesting, of course, in that game. But I guess the, what I'm getting at is, you know, I have Alabama, I think number 11 or 12 in my top 25 this week. It, it, there's, there's without major, I think, improvement in the run game and offensive line. Uh, this team is very much, very much likely to lose another game. Mm-hmm. Now, how about the Arkansas Razorbacks? See, we continue to fight, but continue to get gut punch after gut punch and, and lose a tough, tough matchup. Uh, what are the odds you think that Arkansas, which, uh, as, as I'm sitting here looking at it, what are they, two and five, five losses in a row, but very winnable games. Heck, I think every single game on their remaining schedule is winnable. Not saying they'll win them all, but what are the odds – in your mind, that Arkansas gets to a bowl game, which means they would have to go four and one at at worst. Um, not not looking at APRs. <laughs> what, what 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 likelihood do you give Arkansas, which has what four four home games here closing out, to go uh, six and six at worst? Yeah, I, I think first of all, I think the BYU loss could prevent this team from going to a bowl game, a very winnable game that Arkansas fell short in. So you know, two and five, but like you said, the good news is four of your last five are at home and they've arguably played most of their tougher opponents already. And, it, and, and getting Mississippi state and then an off week before playing your last road game and then coming back home to play three very, you know, potentially Winnable games. I mean, we we've seen a lot of teams in that last week of the season where, if you are desperate, five and six, trying to get win number six, um, which Arkansas could be against Missouri, you know they'll, they'll fight like crazy in that game. And, and I think that's the theme for me for Arkansas over this five game stretch is they have been fighting like crazy despite the losses adding up, some of the personnel shortages on offense and the struggling offensive line. Uh, every week they just keep fighting. And so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say highly confident, but I would give them maybe like 52, 53% chance to go uh, four and one in those last couple games because hot quarterback like KJ Jefferson down the stretch, favorable home schedule. Um, I think the path is still there for Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, um, it's going to be wild to see, particularly, Man, if Hugh Freeze puts that dagger in Sam Pittman like he did last year, you know that I have to imagine Arkansas is going to get pretty fired up for that one. I just want to take a quick break from the show to remind you guys that we are brought to you by MyBookie Sportsbook. Head on over to MyBookie.ag today 
This is the number one way to help the podcast grow and stay independent this football season. Head on over to mybookie.ag today and use the promo code that SEC, T-H-A-T-S-E-C. There's a link in the show notes as well to do this. No strings attached, $200 cash to wager with over at mybookie.ag today with that promo code that SEC over at mybookie.ag today. Not just college football, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, UFC, anything you can gamble on, they got it over at mybookie.ag today. We would really, really, really appreciate each and every one of you that does this. This keeps the podcast growing, keeps the lights on here in the duplex. So we really do appreciate each and every one of you. Head on over to mybookie.ag today. And don't forget, most importantly, that promo code, that SEC. We're also brought to you by Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports. Head on over to Prize Picks today. Put in that promo code SEC. They're willing to match your initial deposit up to 100 bucks. So you can have 200 bucks in your account today at Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports with that promo code SEC. There's also a link in the show notes to Prize Picks. And last but certainly not least, the Rogue Shop THC CBD Delta 8 Delta 9. They got you covered over at the rogueshop.com. 100% legal. Great stuff. They sent us over some of their product. And that's why Shane's not here. He's over in CBD, C, Delta 9, Delta 9, Delta 8, Delta 9 land tonight. So uh, I'm just kidding. He's at a doctor. Wink, wink. But head on over to the rogueshop.com. Spend over 100 bucks at the Rogue Shop, and they'll send you your order. No charge, free shipping. 10% off your entire order with that promo code SEC over at the rogueshop.com. Go check it out. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Head on over to GameTime.co and use promo code THATSEC for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Game Time is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code that. SEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem that SEC for 20 bucks off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. That one. Um, how about uh, LSU Auburn, Stephen? Big win for LSU. Uh, do you think what's more likely? Nine wins? <laughs> 
which would mean one loss, and I think I know where that would be, or 10 wins for them LSU Tigers. Now that they finally figured out they got Harold Perkins on their team, Stephen, they figured out how to utilize him. And again, Auburn is not great. I get it, but goodness, Stephen, they they had seven. All LSU had seventeen points on the board before Auburn had a first down on Saturday night in Death Valley. So, if they play like that, which is not a given, and, and the schedule ramps up a little bit with some Florida, Alabama, A and M, but if they play to this level, I I feel decently confident that they can win every game. Maybe Brian Kelly needed Cousin Shane's glasses to, to remember if he had Harold <laughs> <laughs> Perkins. Oh, man. Uh, I, I If you asked me to pick, I would probably say 9-3 and three at this point. Uh, I think LSU will be an underdog against Alabama on November 4th. I think optimistically, though, I think if you're LSU, like the the – Theory you have to weigh in your mind is the defense played better on Saturday against Auburn, but Auburn is struggling so much offensively. Which, which, like, which side do you do you believe in that? The thing that you know for sure is that Jaden Daniels and those receivers are going to put up big yardage and big points every week. And Logan Diggs and Caleb Jackson, the nice balance has really started to come in uh, for this LSU team. And you mentioned Harold Perkins. If if they can get him back to creating some havoc, if they don't give up as many big plays in the secondary. They could easily win uh, November 4th in Tuscaloosa. I, I think an interesting debate would be if you're Kirby Smart, who would you rather not see? Would you rather play Alabama or would you rather play LSU? I think if I was Georgia, I think I'd rather play Alabama. I don't think I'd want to play a quarterback in Jaden Daniels that's red hot down the stretch. But mm-hmm. feel, hey, you feel, do you disagree with me? I just can't believe you disrespect Nick Saban and Alabama. Alabama to that degree. I mean, you got to be a fool to discount them. But no, you're absolutely 100% right. So <laughs> I'd, I'd rather, because I think a defensive game plays to the strengths of Georgia. I, I don't think a shootout does. I really don't. I think go back to last season, too. And I know teams are different and circumstances are different. But that playoff game that Georgia played against Ohio State, and, and I think, you know, we, we've seen. You know, Auburn was able to get Georgia kind of in a street fight, a lower scoring game. But I think I would much rather take my chances with spreading the field, letting Jaden Daniels create. Um, and they didn't fare so well last year in the SEC championship game. But I have a feeling that, that the offensive line is is more equipped to handle the battle this year. So I think if I was Georgia, I would not want to see a quarterback like Jaden Daniels. I would take my chances with sort of uh, Alabama's uh, off- struggling offensive line right now. Yeah, and that monster Jalen Carter that picked him up with one hand, one arm is no longer there. He's in the NFL doing it to folks now. You know what? Absolutely. Yeah, that that's an, that's another I think storyline is um you know, I'd be curious to see how the two defenses here. And I, I know we're we're talking about a hypothetical SEC <laughs> championship game here and it's not even no, uh November, but LSU's defensive improvement, like is it real the last like the second half of Missouri? Auburn and Georgia going forward without Brock Bowers. That group is, you know, that group has shown some vulnerability at times. It's still Georgia and Kirby Smart. It just may not be as dominant as it was last year. And I think that's that's something as as Georgia goes down the stretch when they play Tennessee, when they play Brady Cook, when they play Jackson Dart. I'm curious to see what that group looks like. Do they flip the switch and basically become um, as dominant as last year? 
Now, uh, let's take a fast uh, a look ahead, Stephen, to this weekend. Again, not the greatest slate of SEC games, but any SEC game has got my full attention. So I, I would imagine uh, what's interesting, only one road team is favored right now. Uh, a lot of home favorites, but let's stick with Tennessee at Alabama. Big showdown, revenge game for Alabama. Season hopes on the line. Tennessee could still win the SEC. East could still win the SEC, but have to win this game to make that Georgia, well, and really Kentucky, Missouri. I mean, all of them. You get, you basically got to win them all out. But this, it's got to start here. Uh, this is, you know, the, the Tennessee's not been an underdog like this since Georgia. Or I, I don't even think it was this this many, to, to be honest with you. I can't remember. But, you know, it's been a while since Tennessee's been this big of an underdog. Thoughts on this matchup, Stephen? And, um, you know, deep two, two great defenses, two inconsistent quarterbacks, <laughs> uh, underperforming receivers. I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on Tennessee going to Alabama? Question for you on sort of the storyline for this game. I've always these two teams have always been rivals, even if even during Alabama's uh, winning streak. I mean, Nick Saban was what fifteen and zero before last year's game, so there's a little bit of extra revenge here for Alabama. But do you think that there's a little bit more, I guess, spice in the rivalry after last year? Because I think there is. Yeah, I think Alabama players. And fans forgot it was a rivalry there right. for a while. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But right. I, I think they'll be pr- pretty juiced up for this weekend. Yeah, I do too. And, and I think the 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 interesting thing is you think back to last year's game, it was 52 to 49. The over-under for this game is 47. So <laughs> <laughs> Vegas is thinking that this the total for this game is going to be lower than either one of the, the final score uh, for both teams uh, last year was. So I think a completely different style of game. Hendon Hooker and, and Bryce Young are going to be taking uh, you know snaps in the NFL this weekend, and instead it's going to be a much more lower-scoring defensive battle. I think for Tennessee, the, this, the question that we, we talked about earlier, can Tennessee run on Alabama? They had 232 rushing yards against A&M. Can they go into Tuscaloosa and do the same thing? If they can, I think they got a chance to win. If they can't, it's on Joe Milton, and he's going to have to step up. The receivers are going to have to step up. I don't know that Tennessee's. I don't know that I trust Tennessee's passing game in this situation, but I do think Tennessee's defense, uh, with the way that we saw they, you know, Tennessee's defensive line deserves a game ball for how much they dominated on Saturday. I, that was one of the more um, impressive showings from a Tennessee defensive front that I've seen in in a high profile showdown in, in some time. So defensive line for Tennessee can they create some havoc can they prevent the big plays by uh by Jalen Milrow I think this will be like I said a much more lower scoring game than last season well you just made me think of something interesting Steven there's been memes going around uh that all off season you know there was you know Saban does uh interviews at his desk there Pat McAfee and what have you <laughs> and there's been a binder on his desk that says Tennessee offense and some Tennessee fans have kind of run with that, being like, oh, Saban spending July thinking about Tennessee's offense, which is true. But he, he's got a binder like that on everybody. So it's not like he's just sitting there losing sleep over just Josh Heupel. I mean, he's got one on Kiffin and 
you know, Barbet and, and on and on and on. He's got, he's got one of those on everybody. But that's not the point. The point is, Stephen, that – and I'm not questioning Nick Saban's uh, defensive uh, ability to adjust and game plan and all that, but imagine spending 12 months – which is what it, it's been, 12 months studying Heupel and this offense and this wide-open passing attack, and then all of a sudden, oh, my God, they're, they're the nation's or, or the SEC's most potent, potent running attack. I mean, it's, I have to imagine that it's not quite what they've been prepping for, and I wonder if that's an advantage at all for Tennessee. That is, I mean, it's, it's not like they've blown up. They're, they're not running a different scheme. It's still the same scheme, but they're just utilizing it different. Any... Uh, uh, you know, any advantage there that uh, what Nick Saban and company have been prepping for is is going to be totally different this week? It's an interesting question because I think if I'm Alabama, I would much rather play this style of game mm-hmm. than to play Joe Milton and the receivers replicating what happened last year to the the corners and safeties for, for Tennessee. Jalen Hyatt putting them in through the through the through the ringer in that one, <laughs> I, I, that you know that is something that as you were you're mentioning it. If you're Tennessee, I wonder if there's anything in that game last year that can translate to this one. And even if it's just one or two big plays that Milton hits, um, and you know Keaton and Squirrel White and some of the other weapons, if they can connect on one of those, I mean, do they do they see something again this year on film with the safeties and corners that make them think they can hit that? Because if they do, all of a sudden, I, I like Tennessee's odds uh, to make this a you know it's eight and a half I think at Vegas uh, by Monday. You know, I think Tennessee can keep it a lot closer than that if they can hit on a few of those big plays. So I think if I'm Alabama, I'd much rather play a team that's just going to try and run it at us forty times. But I'm also wondering too. Can Josh Heupel and this offensive staff scheme up a couple of those big plays, even though the personnel is different this year? Yeah, and I wonder how much uh, you know they played South Florida too earlier, which was is Alex Alex Golish, the former Tennessee offensive coordinator, the head coach. Now they didn't have any success at all on offense, but I, I would still imagine Heupel picked up the phone and and then picked his brain on what he saw from Alabama. Um, earlier in the season. How about this, Stephen? I don't know if you, you're aware of this, but uh, Bama has allowed 31 sacks this year. That's uh, dead last in the SEC. That's actually 130th in the, the country in sacks allowed. Awful. Out of, what, 130, what is it? Three. Eight, 133. 133. Okay, so, so three off from the worst <laughs> of the worst. Tennessee, third in the SEC with 24 sacks, that's fifth nationally. So I, I realize one mismatch is not going to dictate a game of this caliber, but it is a, a huge mis, mismatch in that regard. Um, how big of a concern do you think that is for Alabama in this matchup? I think it's a concern, especially when you turn the tape on of Texas, uh, the Texas A&M-Tennessee game and you see mm-hmm. James Pierce and you see Tyler Barron and you see Garland in the middle and how well uh, they played against Texas A&M. And, you know, I think maybe the to to your decaying dynasty argument here, Alabama's got talented dudes in the trenches. And Tennessee's, they've had to bring in transfers, and I would argue that this group is not even, I mean, it's talented, but it's not as close on the talent level as Alabama is, and they're being able to turn out 230 rushing yards 
maximizing talent, getting the most out of the offensive line. So I, I, I would be worried if I'm Alabama considering what Tennessee did last week and the way that this group has played all year. Now, I don't want to uh, assume anything, so I guess I won't, but I'll just ask you, who is a better quarterback in your mind today? Because I don't even think this is debatable. I think you would agree with me. Jalen Milrow or Joe Milton? Jalen Milrow. Yeah. He's played a lot better, I think, um, since the since the Texas game, since the South Florida, who whatever was going on there, and the second <laughs> the second half of the Ole Miss game. It you know, it feels like I mean, like I said, you know, earlier, it does feel a little bit too much big play or nothing. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of room for him to grow. And I think he's been, I think just last week's game uh, for Tennessee, you know, Joe Milton was kind of all over the place. And that's kind of been the theme this year. So I, I would, if you ask me to, to win a game tomorrow, I want Jalen Milrow quarterbacking my team over Joe Milton. And I know there's been ridiculous hype with Joe Milton and, and that you were not necessarily bought in on that. But still, given that, Many people didn't even think Jalen Miller would be the starting quarterback. That's that's pretty wild, isn't it? That a midway point in the season, it's it's not even debatable. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's crazy. I I, I just I think it's. I always assume now under Josh Heupel that the quarterback will be like top seven, six in the SEC just because of his track record. And mm-hmm. even even with that in mind, go back to the start of the season, like Milton. Miss some throws against Virginia, but if you watched Milton in in the early parts of the of that game in the season, and watched Milrow after the after the South Florida, you know, watching Tyler Buckner and and Ty Simpson, I mean, you probably would have said Milton was the better quarterback at that point, and certainly I think you trust Tennessee's offensive staff more. Right, and and in full disclosure, before we start hit the record button, Stephen asked me. Is it Nico time? So let me ask you, Stephen. Maybe not this game. I, th- I, I still, I think it'd be crazy if you're throwing out a true freshman in a must-win on the road in a revenge game against Nick Saban. Of course, maybe it'd be genius. Maybe that's why Josh Heupel's a genius. Maybe, maybe they'll never see it coming, Stephen. But let's say Tennessee, and I don't think this is far-fetched. Not that this is my pick or anything, but let's say Tennessee gets killed because they have no passing attack. And and Milton is just inaccurate and in this and that. I don't want to. I don't want to bash him. But let's just say he, he, they have a horrible game. Would it be Nico time for you to? Because uh, because I think your hopes at winning the SEC are, are essentially gone if you lose this game. So what what do you really have to play for? What are, what are your thoughts on that, Stephen? So he's played I think two games this year. So he has two more left if you want to redshirt him i mean if Mm -hmm. you if you think he's good enough he's probably not sticking around for his senior year um so i think i think that's a that's a conversation point that has to weigh into this because tennessee still has to play uconn they play vanderbilt and they'll play the bowl game asking him to go on the road and play at alabama or kentucky seems tough i think if i was going to make the switch it would be against uconn now saying all that at Kentucky could be pretty important for the SEC East. And I think if the passing game struggles against Alabama, I think if I was this offensive staff for Tennessee, I think you'd have to at least consider 
giving him a chance on the road in Lexington, and then you turn it over to him against UConn, and then he starts the rest of the year. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't argue with that. All right, how about uh, this matchup, Stephen? South Carolina at Missouri. This is huge for the Gamecocks now. They they can't beat Drake. I don't think they've ever beat him. I think they're, what, 0-4 four, oh four against him, going back to his Appy State days. Mizzou's red hot now. Um, what's your thoughts on this matchup? I mean, is is it going to be a shootout style game? You think high score? I'm basically the opposite of Tennessee, Alabama. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think first of all, I think if I'm Brady Cook, I'm thinking, you know, didn't have the best game against Kentucky, but I'm looking at South Carolina secondary going, they've given up 400 passing yards to two different quarterbacks this year. And if all my receivers are healthy and out there at home, you mentioned the success that Eli Drinkowitz has had against South Carolina. Uh, This could be a nice bounce back game uh, for Brady Cook in Missouri. I think on the flip side of things, I think, you know, South Carolina for a chance to to win this game, it's just going to have to be on Spencer Rattler. He's going to have to have a huge game. I think there have been some plays to be made against um, Missouri secondary they were a couple plays away from beating Florida on Saturday. Can they kind of close the deal? Well, in order to do that, they need Spencer Rattler to have another big game. And then I, I think you like some of the things that you saw outside of that, like offensively. They did a nice job of getting Mario Anderson involved. Um, some of the throws that Rattler made with the guys barreling down uh, and chucking it deep uh, was, you know, he's, he continues to have a, a season that's outpacing South Carolina's record so uh, all that to be said if South Carolina wins this game I think it's Spencer Rattler putting up big numbers and maybe something like a block punt kind of a kickoff return some kind of special teams uh, play that they make here yeah and I think you said uh, Stephen correct me if I'm wrong but for Gamecocks to to make a bowl game they're gonna have to steal one and 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 specifically you said Clemson that's the final one Uh, but there's all I'm just looking past Kentucky until they've (laughs) Till they do something uh, of value here again. So uh, assuming Jacksonville State, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, let's just assume those are wins. So they got to steal Clemson at Mizzou at A and M. They got to steal one of these. Is and I know Missouri's playing well, so I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But is that more likely? Is this the more likely stolen game, or do you think it's A and M, which both of those are on the road, or is it Clemson at home? Which I guess where would you rate this right now? I would go Clemson. And mm. I think here's here's the a reason why I, I think if I'm Shane Beamer, teams that can throw the ball effectively are probably like my worst enemy right now. <laughs> and Missouri under Brady Cook, I think, is gonna have some success uh on Saturday. I think AM uh with Max Johnson, those receivers too. But look at those last four opponents. You know, Jacksonville State hit or miss in the passing game. Rich Rodriguez is their head coach, by the way. Um, mm. it, interesting little matchup on November 4th. We know Vanderbilt, of course, you know, not having a, you know, two and six at this point. Kentucky struggled to throw the ball. Clemson's offense, probably not living up to the preseason expectations. The passing game for Clemson, there's not a lot of big plays going on right now. So I think if you're South Carolina, you're looking at those last four opponents going, there's some teams in there with struggling quarterback play and our secondary has been getting toasted those last four games with the question marks at quarterback for those or passing offenses for their last four teams, make those some winnable uh, games down the stretch. Yeah. Now how about uh, Ole Miss at Auburn, Steven, 
this could be a fun game on the plains. Crazy, crazy things happen down there. All that bad blood between, um, you know, Lane and the Auburn fans. And uh, people may have forgotten this already, but bad blood between Hugh and Lane. Stealing recruits, stealing coaches. These two do not respect each other. And, and Kiffin's got ammo. I know he was, he was playing nice, but I don't know if you saw it, Stephen, but he's like, yeah, my brother played for him or, or coached for him. Hell of a guy. You know, I respected the way. No, he's he's probably got some some drama dug up on old Hugh from courtesy old Chris Kiffin. But uh, he's uh, he's got the, the retweets ready for Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> But this is one, Stephen, where I look at Auburn, and I know they struggled big time last week, but maybe that says more about LSU than anything, But or maybe it just says Auburn's terrible. But I think what it really says is LSU's a hell of a team. Uh, this is a, a big trap game, I think. I really do. And I, I think Vegas indicates that as well. Again, this is the only SEC road team that's favored this week, and it's a, a very small number here. Uh, what's your thoughts on Ole Miss, which has had two weeks to prepare for this Auburn game? I think the the first thing is all the coaching drama that you mentioned. Um, you know, of course, Hugh Freeze facing his former team. You have Lane Kiffin and Auburn, the dance that they did last offseason, all the other uh, drama that you mentioned. Uh, there's there's enough in the off field that we, we, we wouldn't have to talk about anything on the field. Let's just talk about everything uh, off the field. But in the series, Ole Miss has won just once at Auburn since 2004 and Auburn oh. is six and one in the last seven against Ole Miss. The, of course the only win was last season for, uh, for Ole Miss. So Ole Miss would be going against the series history if they went into Auburn and, and won, uh, but they're favored. So Vegas thinks, you know, like you said, almost by a touchdown. I think the, the question for me in this game is going back to last week's game for Auburn against LSU. I think LSU attacked Auburn the right way. Like you Auburn got Georgia into one of those closed kind of low possession kind of games. LSU jumped on Auburn right away. The lower scoring it is, the more they can use the run game, kind of play to defense right now with the quarterback question marks and passing game, you know, that benefits Auburn. If Ole Miss can come out of the bye week, uh, two weeks to prepare, jump on Auburn, we see the continuation of, Judkins and Bentley and the run game and the way they finished off the last couple games. If they can jump on Auburn, then I think you feel good if you're Lane Kiffin. I think if this game gets into 24-20 tight territory, the home field advantage for Auburn, uh, this is definitely upset territory for Ole Miss. So I think a dangerous spot here for Lane Kiffin's team. But in, in the big picture here, if you're Ole Miss, win this game, beat Vanderbilt and you go into the month of November with everything to play for because you'll, you'll get a shot at Georgia and you still have a shot to win the SEC West. So avoiding the upset if your Ole Miss is crucial down the stretch here. Yeah. And, and do you think this is a game where we learn a lot about Kiffin's program because of what you said? I mean, Jackson Dart's been banged up, said to, you know, the week off to prepare. Um, they like, just as you said, if they jump on them, they should, blow their doors off, but they let Auburn hang around. This is what Auburn does, Stephen. They, they, and Hugh Freeze too, his history. He wins these games. He's not supposed to. So, uh, it, do you, do you think 
Ole Miss will take this one seriously because it's kind of like I was saying with um, with Georgia last week playing Vanderbilt and Alabama playing Arkansas. I think they took those teams lightly, and I think it showed. And if Ole Miss takes Auburn lightly, just got their their doors blown off. As crazy as it sounds, I I think Auburn can win this game. Yeah, I I think the the stats in this game, um, you know, from an Auburn offensive standpoint, they have not scored more than 20 points against a power five opponent this year. And they're averaging just 4.3 yards per play in sec games this season. So a higher scoring game clearly benefits Ole Miss, unless it's just one of those like crazy high scoring games where both teams are just scoring defensive touchdowns and special teams, touchdowns, (laughs) something crazy. I think to your point, if I'm Ole Miss coming off the bye week, like, this might be good timing for them because I think if it followed up another game and you know maybe it was the LSU game, it'd be almost like ripe for an upset here. And I still think they should be on upset watch. But I think coming off the off week and everything to play for, I think Auburn will have their attention on Saturday. Um, and I think I think Kiffin probably really really wants this one. And like I said, those those retweets and and uh, tweets will be ready Saturday. Set your set your notifications Saturday afternoon or Sunday. How about uh, Mississippi State at Arkansas, Stephen? Two programs desperate to get a win. Mississippi State's coming off a bye, so they'll be a little bit rested. Um, I don't. Maybe you can. I probably should have done my research. I apologize. I don't. I don't have any updates on Will Rogers. Maybe you do. Uh, Arkansas last game before they hit the bye, so they're a little. They're probably. They're probably eager to get there. Uh, but let me ask you this, and and I know nobody wants to hear this, Stephen, but the loser of this game, do you think the losing coach, maybe we don't even use the fi- fired word, but are they the head coach next year, whoever loses this game? What's your thoughts? Potentially. I think most of the, I should say most. I think the hot seat is quiet in the SEC. And I think I'd be I'd be surprised if there was a, a firing. Now I think Sam Pittman is probably short of the bottom falling out, going two and ten. He's probably safe for next year. I think there's been some reporting about Zach Arnett's status, and especially with the buyout situation, that if they don't finish well, um, and especially when you're working for an AD who didn't hire you, there could be some could be some interesting conversations down the stretch. So I, I think all that being said, like that underscores the urgency here for both coaches and both teams, because I think the winner of this game also stays alive for bowl purposes. Getting that six victory, it's sort of, I don't, maybe it is, I mean, we talked about Arkansas and how the, the home schedule sets up. Mississippi State still has to play a non-conference game uh, before they play Ole Miss, still have to play at Auburn, they still have to play Kentucky. So, you know, Mississippi State has a tough path to get to six wins, and this one would certainly uh, make it easier. Same thing for Arkansas. So I think forgetting about what happens on the field, there's a lot at stake, I think, here for both coaches trying to prove that, hey, uh, the direction that we're going is the, is we're going to get this thing going back in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and any update that you've heard from about Will Rogers, his status for this game or anything? I think it's 
I have not heard an official update. Um, I think it's to be determined. And I think mm. that is kind of uh, one of the bigger question marks going into this game. You know, how healthy is Woody Marks and, and Will Rogers? Because they're going to and they're going to need a full uh, allotment of offensive weapons to to be able to to win this game. And I think just from a from a matchup standpoint, Mississippi State secondary and how much it has struggled this year going up against KJ Jefferson and the weapons that Arkansas, despite everything that's happened, fighting week in and week out, I would not want to be playing KJ Jefferson in at home a week before a bye week with a struggling secondary. So Mississippi State's going to need both those guys out there to win this game. And if we found out, and again, I uh, again I apologize, I should have researched this, but if Will Rogers, we find out, is not going to play, what's your confidence level that Mississippi State can win this game? Definitely a lot lower. Um, I like Mike Wright. You know, I thought he, you know, he started at Vanderbilt in some pretty difficult circumstances. I'd be curious to see what the Mike Wright-led Mississippi State offense looks like with a week to get ready instead of using him as a part-time player. So that would be interesting. But I think if if you want, I think if you Mississippi State to beat Arkansas, I think there are some vulnerabilities in the Arkansas secondary, and I think you're going to need Will Rogers out there to be able to do it. The spread is seven. Here, I think it opened up a little higher, so it's gone down. I think if Will Rogers didn't play, probably jumps up probably closer to 10, uh, I think. So I think Mississippi State needs a healthy Will Rogers here. Yeah. Uh, how about quickly here, Stephen? Army at LSU, massive spread. You were telling me, Army, not your pep balls, Army. That's right. Yeah, I was. I was, uh, was going to say it's not your brother's army team here because uh, they, you know, you think about like Army, Navy, and Air Force, and they all run some sort of option. The little there's differences in between them, but because of the changes in blocking rules over the last couple of years, they've actually decided to throw the ball more. They they actually operate out of the shotgun. Uh, so the offense has changed a little bit. To give you an idea. They have 97 pass attempts this year. They had 104 all of last season. <laughs> so it's a completely, it's, I should say it's a, shouldn't say completely, it's a different Army um, offense this year. Uh, they have lost to Boston College and they have lost to Syracuse this year. So if you're looking just how they stack up against Power 5 opponents, Army, I had them about 96th in my power rankings for all 133 teams this week. So they're pretty far down the list. I think the danger though is if they they have given teams a scare in years. Uh Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley got a full dose of this a few years ago and Michigan and Jim Harbaugh did as well. They can kind of pull you into the one of those games where they have an 8-minute drive and your offense doesn't see the field but one time in a quarter. So I think it's important for LSU to just jump on Army early, get ahead and don't allow them to play that kind of low possession uh, game. Because if they do that, this one could get interesting. But have to think that uh, Jaden Daniels and the way that LSU is playing offensively right now is just going to be too much for Army that's 2-4 and four and uh, didn't beat Syracuse or Boston College this year. And what would your panic level be if uh, Army had success against – because LSU's defense has been awful. Uh, they, they shorted up last week, but – 
particularly against the pass. And you just said Army loves to pass now. So, I mean, if they're going up and down in Tiger Stadium, we got some real issues, huh? Absolutely. Uh, the only caveat to that is if you're Brian Kelly, do you just prep for Alabama this week? <laughs> so, just uh, I, I, if I, if I'm LSU and this game is close, like in the middle of the third quarter, I would start to get a little worried. Um, probably my anxiety level would start rising if it's close at halftime. Even um, mm-hmm. I just think, just like last week, it's important just for LSU just to jump on them early, get ahead. Don't allow Army to play your game. Get through it healthy because they get the bye week and then they get Alabama and uh, what I think is going to be the the game that probably decides the SEC West. Now, and you can keep these uh, brief too if you'd like, Stephen, but uh, we also got our Big 12 cousins, I guess we're calling them. Central Florida at Oklahoma is, is a big spread. Texas at Houston, another big spread. Uh, are you thinking that either one of these games will be competitive this weekend? I don't think so. I think both teams should should win easily. Uh, UCF, led by uh, old friend, old SEC friend Gus Malzahn, also old SEC friend John Rice Plumley, <laughs> at quarterback uh, for UCF. But no, both teams off the bye week, so they've had a week to fully digest Red River. I think both win big this weekend. Yeah, how crazy is it that, uh, I mean, what, Kiffin's been at Ole Miss for four years, right? John Rice Plumley played at Ole Miss before Kiffin, and now he's two years at Central Fl- Like, this math doesn't add up, but I believe you. I believe you, but... <laughs> I, 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 I promise you, John Rice Plumley is the starting quarterback at UCF, and also, like, they have some other SEC transfers out there, too. They're really, uh, they're a really interesting roster. Uh, Gus has been doing a good job down there at, uh, at UCF. Any, I uh, appreciate all your time, Stephen. Any uh, closing thoughts before we get you out of here? Man, I'm just looking forward to another uh, week of games in the SEC. You know, I, I know the slate of five games and and one's a non-conference game, but you know, we we keep learning more and more about these teams, and I, I'm excited to see Tennessee and Alabama play just because of the rivalry. Tennessee's win last week to see if Alabama can keep stacking uh, performances as we go into that LSU game. So. Really looking forward to another week, and also keep in mind we're closing in on the first uh, set of playoff rankings, and uh, we'll see where Georgia stacks up in there and see how the SEC ranks in terms of uh, potential uh, playoff purposes for or, or, or New Year's Six Bowl games for some of these other teams too. So we're hitting that that critical stretch of the season. Yeah. Before you go, Stephen, can you tell the audience where can they find you and where can they find uh, all your outstanding work? Absolutely. So you can hear me on the Cover 2 podcast by Athlon Sports every Wednesday. Um, we also throw some clips up on our YouTube page, which is all CFB365. You can follow me on Twitter at Athlon Steven, and you can check out uh, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Threads, Stephen L. CFB. Just like conference expansion. We just keep adding ones as we go here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so just want to say thanks, Stephen, for joining the show. Always appreciate those conversations. I learn something every time, and I hope you all did too. But, uh, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Remember, we got, we're got we going to have a, a bonus live show coming up on Wednesday, so be here for that. 
Not sure of the time yet. Shane never lets me know of the time. I promise. As soon as I know, you'll know. But uh, Shane's got 17 beers to drink. We got uh, a lot more content coming to you all week long. So stay tuned. And as always, hey, uh, give us that five-star written review. If you made it this far, you're enjoying the show. Subscribe on YouTube. Do those. And we're willing to send you a beer koozie free of charge. Just reach out to us at that SEC podcast at gmail.com. We've got a little back order on those, but we're getting them out as fast as we can. We send out about a two dozen a week. So, uh, again, we don't ask for much. All we ask is for your support for a free beer koozie. That seems like a good deal to me. So, again, thank you so much for all the support this football season. Truly, we do a We truly do appreciate it. Without you guys, there is no show. But that's going to do it for this episode. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy. This beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.